Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm Josh D'Amigo, program faculty member for Influential You and your co-host for this weekly podcast. John Patterson will not be joining us today. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we have helped thousands of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs become more influential, more rewarded, and more you. Today, we welcome Mike Fend to the Influential You podcast. Mike Fend is an air quality representative for PDC Energy in Colorado. Mike is one of the many of our ambitious professionals who study with us at Influential You and are training to give themselves more opportunities in the workplace. He holds his master's in management from the Toom School of Management and has a bachelor's from University of Colorado Boulder in civil engineering. And I'm excited to announce that you're going to see him in a second. And he just picked up the keys to his first home that he purchased with some of the material that he learned here at Influential U. He put it into practice. Today, he's going to tell us a bit more about his journey over the last six months and how he learned to lead with curiosity and even genuinely care more about his team through his studies. Please join me in welcoming Mike Fend to the Influential U podcast. Mike, I'm I'm really excited to have you on here because I'm I just I can't even tell you it's been a little bit for me because I'm just like really really stoked to have another young professional on the podcast with me. But before we jump into everything and we start to brag about how you as a millennial are buying houses in this market, could you tell me a little bit more about what you do? Like, what is your marketplace offer uh, in the marketplace? On a high level, my offer is that I have the ability and the temperament to get into the details. I love data. I, I, I love getting into the weeds, but what makes me a little more unique is that I have the ability to um, speak publicly and relate to people. And so a lot of times those two characteristics, they don't go well together. So I can get into the data and then I can craft a narrative that uh, is appropriate for people depending upon the level of detail they need to know. Yeah. It's, it's really valuable. I, I don't know if you know this. I'm on the general plan advisory committee for my city here in Ventura. And we just had a presentation with Ventura Water, who came in and talked about all the different ways that we use that resource of water. I imagine when you're talking about air quality, a lot of times, are you talking to the public? Are you talking to other employees? Like, who is it that you're giving presentations to? And where are you valuable for the company? Well, I don't speak to the public. Uh, we have plenty of people for that. Um, but in terms of coordinating internally, that's a huge effort. You know, I work with air regulations and getting everybody on board and willing to be compliant with new air regulations isn't exactly easy. So um, how do I build these relationships with people in the field such that they can see the why behind what we're doing and, and why we need to be acting in a certain manner? Yeah, it's, it's really mesmerizing to me just because I'm so bad at science. I wish I could tell you how bad, but let's just say that I dropped off when you had to start labeling birds, and I believe that you're a little bit further than I was in your education on that. But it's so fun because I get to study with all these experts in their fields using our systems to make it so that they are starting to act a certain way or, or increase different identities 
And what you talked about is your leadership skills and also your career. Now, I want to start before I met you because you and I have studied a lot over the last six months. I've jumped in on your study groups and it was really funny. I think the first time I got in, I went, okay, so you're the inventor and you just kind of were like, wow, that's how I remember the first conversation we had. Tell me a little bit about leading up to Influential You. What was life like before you decided to study with us? Well, I didn't have a really good concept in my career. Um, I was thinking very uh, naively about how do I move forward and, and what is my offer of help to the marketplace? I earned my uh, degree in civil engineering at a CU and then promptly became a uh, an international field engineer installing scientific equipment around the world and in a bunch of different countries. Um, I really enjoyed uh, that, that work, but after a while, it, it became redundant, and I ended up moving then to Germany to get a master's in management. Wow. And then during that time, really started falling into the world of entrepreneurship. Turns out inventors like creating new things. Um, and moving forward and, and started taking some of those lessons learned from cross-cultural communication and small teamwork and team dynamics towards small, newly formed startup teams. So I started giving talks there and finally moved back to Colorado and am now a air quality representative. So my career has been somewhat fractured. Well, and I think we were talking about this earlier and I wanted to tell you, you know, in your 20s and 30s, we kind of teach that, hey, you're supposed to try some things out, right? Like we don't like nail it the first time. Not everybody gets to know exactly what they want to do and start college in the correct way that they wanted to start it and has this aim in their lives at the, at the age of 18. But you're right around that time when it's time to start getting serious and really think about some of these things. And I can see as an inventor, someone who's more future thinking, you may be a little more prone to worrying about things that haven't happened four years in the future. <laughs> Is that sort of the, the mindset you were in when you started to consider Influential You? Absolutely. I remember when I was first giving talks in Germany, um, I was talking with Marika Mertens and she gave me some wonderful tidbits and sort of, without me knowing it, dangled the carrot of influential you in front of me. And I remember in my mind thinking, okay, when I get the next um, career opportunity where I can earn a little bit more money, then I this is something I really want to explore more and, and, and move in that direction. And, and become better at peopling. That peopling is a verb, right? Like yeah. being able to move people because I, what I hear a lot of times with inventors is they struggle with that invitation. It, it, why do I need to invite you? Why do I need to play the game? Why do I need to worry about your feelings? Why do I need to do all those things that have to be done to me all the time? For an inventor, it can be very frustrating and very difficult. I imagine that when you were learning about this, some of that spoke to you, but what was that final, okay, putting pen to paper, that's it. I must do this. What was that thing for you? The accelerator that I took earlier this year in February, I wanted to, to sample it true to the lean agile model. I wanted to sample what influential you had to offer, um, go through and just uh, see if things resonated. And what I found is that a lot of people in the room, just they gave off a really positive vibe. It seemed like they were doing well in many areas of their life. And that's something that is very important to me and something that in the future I want to enhance and, and improve upon is 
satisfy all those different conditions of life, not just work and money and activity. I think that was one of the first things I noticed too. Uh, four years ago, I, I jumped into a members conference, like the, the mid-year conference that now is open to the public. But at the time, we were looking at it as like, was Josh going to work here? Is this a possibility for Josh? And I walked around and met the smartest, kindest people that were looking to help me. I come from the church. I come from a lot of places where people move to help you. And they may not be completely honest. They may not always like it, it. They look like they play a part, but as you start to speak with them, it starts to trail off. And I didn't find that with many of the people at Influential U because most of them were very honest about where they were. Hey, I have not yet, you know, realized the money that I need, or I have not yet found the career that I looked for, or I've not yet found the type of work or even my value. Is that similar to your experience? Like they were just more honest, more open, or was it just a friendly factor? There was a friendly factor, but I appreciated the honesty, you know, getting the, the, the linguistic tool of understanding the current. For me, that was something that when I started hearing about that at Influential U, it, it relieved a lot of stress because I felt in some aspect I was, if there was some news story going on, I would be an inventor and research it. And all of a sudden I'd realize what was going on in the news. The headline wasn't really what was going on. And so having these linguistic tools was really powerful for me to um, go through and, 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 and just relieve a lot of that stress. So like I'm not alone. There's other people who are seeing these things. These people are really caring about honesty and, that, that honest feedback when John Patterson at that accelerator said some things that were a little more abrupt, I appreciated that. I think honest communication is really important and we can't just be making, you know, saying things in a nice manner all the time. You can say critical things in, in a nice manner, but you still have to say critical things before they become even worse. Yeah. Sounds like you got hit by John's velvet sledgehammer. Like it's soft, but it's still a sledgehammer. And I, I'll tell you, when you when you said the current, um, just for the listeners that may not have, have heard this term before, it's that current popular way of thinking. It's it's the, the current drives you in different ways. It pulls you in different directions that may or may not be suitable for your aims. And we tell people to look out for those things. What are those things in the world that are pulling you towards them that aren't for your aims and to fight the current in many cases, or sometimes use it to your own advantage? Well, you then sign pen to paper, you start to get into the study. That's around the time where we start to meet. But what did you start to learn about yourself and about your career and about some of those things that you were kind of shared with me earlier? What, what was it that kind of some of the revelations that you started having? Besides being naive about my career and my career identity, I would say the biggest thing that I took away is how poorly I was at, uh, at scheduling. I wasn't the best at scheduling the near future. I can think big vision, big big vision, big picture, all of those things. But when it came to okay, let's get things done, let's fulfill. I am that's an area where I'm extremely weak. And so, really looking at how do I transact first and foremost with myself? If I schedule a meeting with myself to do something, will I actually do it? Turns out I'm really good at not adhering to a schedule. So. Um, <laughs> I had to really look into and even go beyond the fundamentals of transaction and, and look at a video on uh, scheduling specifically to realize that for my personality type, I need a consequential environment. And that worked wonders for me. Yeah, I think it's really good, too, that you went beyond the program, right? Like 
Influential you is not the end-all, be-all, only solution to every single problem that you're going to come across in life, but it does give you the tools to go and start to research for those things and to start looking for those. When we talk about the 13 steps, uh, some of our advanced members would tell you that's step two, prove fitness. Find where are those things that you need to go find that you need to actually get in your life so that you can do those things that you want to do. And so I'm really glad that you said that because it takes, Ed, as we'll talk about in the e-coaching later today, deliberate practice and a significant amount of study to have some extraordinary paychecks, big things happen. If we don't study, we lessen our ability to get there. And it, it sounds like as a lifelong learner or someone that's got the education you've had, you understand the value of studying. Tell me what the impact was of learning how to do better with your calendar. Like what was a, a pragmatic example of something that you started to do when you started to schedule more? How did that help? I would say for an example, uh, trail running. I was getting into, and I had had this idea for about eight years that I wanted to run a really long distance. And I went through, and when I really started thinking accurately about my schedule, I had put on at the very beginning of Fundamentals of Transaction, I'd put on an hour or two and I'd block out that time to go on a trail run. Turns out a one to two hour trail run doesn't take one to two hours. Mm. First, you have to go out and you have to eat breakfast. Then you have to drive to the trailhead. Then you have to warm up to prevent injury. Then you have to do your one to two hour trail run, then go through and come back, refuel, drive back home, take a shower. And it turns out your one to two hour trail run takes half a day minimum. And if you don't have half a day, then you have to do something else. Maybe you go for a run in your neighborhood or lift some heavy objects and put them back down, something like that. It's really good too, because we don't really think about all of that and it affects the whole day. I'm, I'm running myself. I've got a half marathon this week and you've even given me some help, helpful advice for how to get to the next step of the full marathon. I find that sometimes we just don't really consider all of the prep that goes into that plan, that, that really cool idea that we want to do, trail running. And you have to get that fitness and we grow that fitness by doing it, by regularly practicing. And sometimes it takes a little bit more of commitment right? It takes a little bit more stink on that idea. And I guess for another way of saying it is a consequence. And you actually put in your notes that consequences were a big thing for you. Could you tell me more about what you learned about consequences? So for me specifically, a consequential environment was really good for allowing me to adhere to the schedule that I made. I was really good at scheduling and color coding and making sure everything looked great, but uh, I didn't I, I, as soon as it came time to actually do the thing I said I was going to do, I would invent a new reason and, and just want to do something else. Mm. So what I realized is that specifically for me, I couldn't add a consequence that would add something else to my plate because I would start feeling overwhelmed. But what I could do is I could delay gratification, if you will. And I wasn't allowed to do the fun thing until I did the thing I said I was going to do. So I would do that in, in certain areas where if I wanted to go on a trail run, which is a little bit more enjoyable for me, I had to make sure that my schedule was clear and I got all those things done and then I could go out and relax and, and disconnect for two hours. And when it comes to fitness, one of the things that's fun, right? Like I can run a marathon or a half marathon. Lots of people do it and haven't studied with us. <laughs> but there's a, there's a value to having transactional competence in your tool belt or your fanny pack if we're talking about running and ultra marathons. When you have transactional competence in your fanny pack, 
what does that do to sort of the ultra marathon or to some of the things that you are participating in? Transactional. Well, besides adhering to your schedule, another few things are just listening to your body, really listening to your biology. I've come to the conclusion that nothing hurts by accident. If there's a pain in a certain area that you're you're feeling and you're not quite sure, there is a reason. And if you've tried 10 things, well, there's probably an 11th reason that you haven't quite fully figured out. So listening to your biology and uh, being autonomous in the sense of having a surplus of help. I had a massage therapist. I had somebody who specialized in, in uh, a chiropractor for feet and then a specific guy for trail shoes. And he would make custom insoles and all of this and somebody else I talked to about nutrition. So having all of those people, all that support for me to realize, Oh, I'm feeling this pain or this doesn't feel right, or this is going wrong. How, how do I make sure that I can actually achieve these goals by having the support that I need? It's really good. And we have a, we have another podcast. I'm, I'm forgetting who it was in there, but he talks a lot and it actually helped me out with my own fitness is for those of you, I will brag a little bit. 35 pounds is what I've lost since I started to influence you and I've kept it off. And we need to talk about how much, how hard it is to keep things off. But what I've found is that it helped me to realize I'm not training like I was in college. I'm no longer a college soccer player. I'm a 38 year old going for a jog. <laughs> and what happens was it changes the mindset when you know what your aim is for that run. Um, and I'm actually looking in the chat. It looks like Tim Nicholas, who's your client manager, added a couple questions. Uh, how does uh, consequential environments for transactional uh, competence help you with injuries? And I think it's so funny just because we did answer this question, but it also helped me with knowing my, um, my aim and my ethic for working out. My ethic for working out is not to work out to the point of injury. And when I got injured, that was the first thing that popped into my head. Do you have anything like that that maybe kind of stuck with you or little aha moments that, that may have kind of been in your tool belt that you've just kind of amplified or, or embodied in other places in your life? If you're injured, you can't train. And if you don't train, you're not going to finish it. So for me, it was, if there's anything going on, I'll even use the example of last night. Last night I wanted to do some lifting and I've been moving boxes and working some long hours. And as soon as I got up and started moving around, I realized and listened to my body. It is, it's not particularly the best at the moment. So I was very stiff in a few areas. So instead of lifting heavy objects and just, you know, plowing through and doing what I think I should be doing, listen to your body and adjust. So I did a lot of body weight movements and kind of active stretching, things like that, just to get my body ready so that tomorrow when I want to lift some weights, then uh, my body's able to do it and I'm not injured. Yeah, it, it helps to keep getting the fitness that you want if you don't get injured every other workout is a, is a really good rule of thumb, I guess, if you would, if you need to take something away from this. Uh, if you're just joining us and you're, you jumped in late, this is Mike Fend, my buddy Mike Fend. He is out of Colorado, and we're talking a little bit about kind of what he learned in the uh, trans, transactional competence in the Fundamentals of Transaction program. Now, you had a few triumphs. Do you happen to know off the top of your head your metrics, like how you hit landed on your metrics at the end of the program? Do you have those handy? Sure. I did for money, it was 245%. And despite getting uh, COVID, I got 119% on health and 7% for income. So you had a 7% increase in income for your money measure. You hit 245% of your goal mm -hmm. and of your health 
you hit 119% of your goal. Wow. Um, that feels good. Thank you for saying that out loud. I'm glad I asked that question. Well, then tell me some of the other triumphs because you had a couple here with your health, your career, and your environment. And I want to hear a little bit more about kind of this whole process of buying a home and some of that stuff. But why don't you tell me some of the triumphs that you had over the last six months? This might not seem like a incredibly empowering uh, triumph, but for me, going through and reaching that money aim of 245%, that because I was training so much and trying to maintain so many other areas of my life, getting in more time for a specific podcast to, to learn about what's going on financially in the world, uh, I leave rather early to go to work. So the last thing I want to do in the morning is listen to a financial podcast at 6 a.m. and it's pitch black. So setting up an environment where I set the bar really low and throughout the, uh, the, the program, I developed that habit once, once a week was fine. Then I started doing two times a week and then three times a week. And then it just became a habit where as long as I was getting good enough sleep, I'd wake up, feel rested. And it was my turn to just, to check in with what's going on financially in the world. And turns out that was really good knowledge to have because things changed quite a bit oh, and allowed yeah. me to move <laughs> power, powerfully for changing and I would say upgrading my environment. Mm. Um, and it, it says that you ran your first trail ultra marathon. Yeah. So tell me uh, an ultra. I, now I'm just getting ready. To, I'm just doing the half marathon. I know what that is. What is an ultra marathon? So any, well, there's a debate. But as far as I can tell, anything longer than a marathon is considered an ultra. There's some okay. people who I think are a little more diehard who say anything that's 50 miles and above, but it was called an ultra marathon. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, yeah, it, it's just something, uh, 2014, I read Born to Run and it just, I wanted to really tap into that, that, that mindset and being able to do those things. And I was training just I was doing almost everything wrong mm -hmm. and right around 15 miles in the in the mountains my body would just fall apart and I would I would go through and I would just try and push through the injuries and it didn't work so again having that surplus of help allowed me to really think accurately about my training schedule what can I do realistically uh, there's there's a bunch of different training plans some of them said you need to be running every single day and I just didn't agree with that um, mm. so I talked to a few other people and found some other training plans where you do two medium runs, length runs a week, and then one long one. Now long one has to be important, but that builds in time to recover. And that, that allowed me to complete the ultra marathon. It was in the mountains. So we started around 10,000 feet. We peaked out around 2000 or 12,500 and so what was it, 6,600 feet of climbing, so uh, for me, it was a really meaningful accomplishment. And I, I didn't realize it until I got to the end. When I was finishing and realized I was actually going to get across the finish line, I, I got really emotional and, and all of that work was paying off. And it, it, it was deeply meaningful to me to, to, to do this thing. I've been living in my brain for eight years yeah. and, and, and accomplish that as an objective metric. That, that feeling... It's so funny that you bring that up. Um, I, I just deleted Twitter, but before that, my bio used to say, once did 60 days of P90X. And during COVID, 
I actually did all 90 days, similar to kind of the, the thing that you were talking about, did the research, did the homework, planned it a lot better, had it in my calendar, scheduled it. And it was the first time that I'd ever made it through the entire 90 days of that system. And then you find out, oh, you don't just get jacked the first time you do it. You mean you have to do it multiple times? Boy, they tricked me on that one. So <laughs> it was been fun to learn. Tell me about your environment, your career, some of those, maybe the activities. What are the other wins that you had over the last six months? Well, the changing the environment because I was taking care of money and staying in tune with what was going on financially with the key interest rate, things are changing rather dramatically and they changing more so than they have in, in a long time. So that prepared me in terms of selling certain stocks and, and, and making, growing a ca cash position, essentially. Uh, that was, that was huge. And so I remember right around end of August, early September, I was looking at my environment and although it was satisfying some money aims, uh, I just, it wasn't the best environment to be in. And I, I, I just said, my aim is to change where I'm living so that I can produce a better life. Hmm. And I, my plan was to go out in, in early 2023, maybe when the market is changing, maybe that's when the, the, the change would happen. Uh, I would go through and, and really understand or be able to, to, to upgrade, move out, do what I was going to be doing. And turns out things happened much sooner than that. But because I was more prepared, I was able to transact powerfully in a way that allowed me to close on my first home, like last Friday. <laughs> And this was so, it was so funny when, when we talked about this, I think I called you on Tuesday or Wednesday last week to, to see if you'd be available. And I remember thinking, wait, what, like I wanted to kind of sit you cross-legged in your new home, like with like just this giant home behind you and TV wouldn't let me, uh, our producer, Michael T, wouldn't let us, but I will say this, it's impressive right now to see someone doing that or moving in the way that you are. Um, in such a quick time, like it, it really proves how much you've really studied and taken the, the course seriously. Um, what else is different now than maybe six months ago? Uh, work. Um, I've done quite a bit in terms of what is the, the, what are the, what are the breakdowns in my work immediately? And how can I arrive as a better teammate? How can I help those around me? And realizing that there's a lot of uh, reporting that we need to do. There's a lot of data sets we need to clean and go through. So how do I make that process less painful? Um, also realizing that uh, we may not have the best uh, funnel for uh, accepting new ideas. So starting an innovation program at work and that has been, transactionalism has been incredible in terms of how do I build a team around me for that endeavor and an innovation program. And how do we get funding for this? Okay, well, if I identify somebody's personality or a couple of key people in the room, if I know their personality and even you, you recommended a book, uh, Flip the Script. I read that for one meeting. I read a book so that I could succeed at one meeting. <laughs> um, I guess that is the inventor in me. But <laughs> using that to, to, build a, to, to, to build a narrative essentially for that meeting such that it would resonate with certain personality types. And then being uh, smart enough essentially to get out of my own way. So realizing that I am not the best person to actually give this pitch. So this is the idea, this is sort of my, my baby, but I need to step away. And there are other people who have 
better relationships with those people in the room that are on my team, I need to empower them to, to, to carry the ball and, 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 and make, uh, make an impactful statement during those meetings. I think that's where we'll part for a little bit because I think this is really where the heart of it, like where your passion is um, in the leading. Um, because we asked you your through line, you said lead with curiosity and genuinely care about the well-being of your team. Um, and I, I, I can't stop but think about how we were talking about before the podcast and the show prep that I really didn't have any four quadrant personality experience before this. Like my uncle was really interested in the Enneagram. And I've since then seen some of the value of learning about myself through models like that. But tell me about how the transactional personalities have helped you in leading and being able to do it through the curiosity and the genuine care that you want to give for your team. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an inventor personality type. And what I mean by that is I didn't naturally have the ability to connect with people. I came to it through the realization of studying and practice and looking at things and, and just being curious how people are. Like initially, earlier on in my life, I was very curious about the physical world, right? And so I, I got a degree in engineering that helps me understand the physical world. But as soon as I turned that mindset towards people, it that was fascinating. People mm -hmm. are people are strange. They're weird. They're they're you know. And and, and how do we connect with people? And realizing that you you need a strong team in order to, to succeed. So then I became, okay, how do I become a better teammate? How do I become a better um, member such that we can have a stronger team so we can do more and achieve greater things? So going through and, and going in that direction, it just, it, it, transactionalism has helped so much. And what I really like about the four quadrant model that Influential U offers is it's it's simple it's it's not more complicated than it has to be mm. a lot of times i found with other ones is they they try and get into the weeds a little bit and kind of you know almost like what's your favorite color and all these things and it's based on your mood or how you see yourself but transactionalism helps with the in the sense that you can go forward and you just need to know what you need to know like for instance how does somebody react interact with time. That to me is a fascinating piece that I'd never really considered. And just sitting back and observing how people interact, talk about time and how they, they inter interact with time has been an incredible superpower to just say, oh, okay, this person is usually late. That's an interesting data point. Oh, this person, <laughs> you know, this person uh, or, or how someone's general mood and demeanor, are they always assessing things? Okay, well, that gives me some clues that maybe this person's a judge. And I try to use use it as, as much as it is useful. As soon yes. as it stops being useful, then then okay, I'm wrong. Like I need I need to change, I need to adjust such that I can move powerfully. So uh, does that answer your question? It does. It's really it's really smart too, because I think you and I were talking beforehand as well, like we would take that disc profile summary or like what's your skill finder and depending on the mood or depending on how I felt about myself that day, I'd come up with a completely different profile. Um, and I, I find that that's really, really smart. And I, I like the idea of, you know, of all the things and all the moves and phases at the end of the day, that is a person over there. That is a human being. 
And boy, Ziegler has taught us a lot about how to move just with human beings, like what's in it for them, taking care of them. I also like what you're talking about with, with leading, right? When I first started here, one of the things that co-founder Kirkland Tibble said is it wasn't so much about leadership. It was more about leaderness, the mm. quality of being someone worth following and working on that versus, you know, the act of leading a time or a place. And so I, I, I take that with me a lot when I get into leadership conversations because people go, a leader needs to be this. And I'm like, yeah, or <laughs> they could be this way. I got into a, a debate with my sister. Uh, over the qualities of leading. And it was it's so fascinating too to see that when you're put into those roles, why do people want to work with you? And if you're the type of leader who accelerates other people's skill sets and mitigates their costs or do that to yourself in many cases, that's really what true leadership comes to to form, especially in I believe the agile world, you know, the you start to see how do I promote those people with those skills and mitigate my own costs. Josh does not always need to walk through everyone doing hard work and crack jokes. That could be very dangerous, even though that's my skill set. Even though I'm in, right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time and want to be the happy-go-lucky guy, that can be very costly in a lot of leadership roles. The loudest, most obnoxious speaker does not need to be your leader. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what, you know, all of that. I know I said a lot there, but tell me where your brain's going with all of that in that discussion. For me, it's, I would say... One of my superpowers is that I, I can talk, but one of my superpowers is that I talk too much or my, my weaknesses rather. So I would say learning to control how much I'm speaking in a meeting has been incredibly powerful. Mm. Let other people speak, let, uh, you know, pick everybody's brain. You know, if there's a judge in the corner who's being silent, okay, what's going on over here? Or, you know, if I have to transact with a judge, and I'm not, I don't quite understand what's going on, which as an inventor is just annoying to not understand things and talk to a judge. Hey, you know what? I don't understand this process. Can you help me through? How about I, I pitch you the idea of all the, of the ways in which I think this is how I would solve this problem. And you just tell me every way which run, in which I'm wrong. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, all of a sudden a judge just lights up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fun to do. To, to build that stronger relationship so you can communicate uh, more effectively with people on your team and those those around you. Did you take away anything from the levers of influence in the study that we do with Cialdini? <laughs> that, I feel like I'm a magician. When you use mm, that stuff, more. It's, it, it's, it's incredible because you go through and you can say things and it's, I would say before I didn't really pay close attention to how I was saying things, uh, I would just kind of talk as an inventor, but realizing deeply, what does it mean to be human? Okay. The levers of influence are just incredibly powerful. They're, they're, they're very potent, which the, my, I would say my first reaction was, okay, this is powerful stuff, but okay. What's my ethic involving these? How do I make sure that if I'm using these, it, there's a reciprocation, there's a reciprocal exchange here, and it's not just me using it to take advantage um, and that was another thing that I saw early on with Influential You is that there was a strong uh, importance or, or emphasis put on ethic. Mm -hmm. That was really important to me that if you're learning how to agitate people when you need to agitate people, yeah. to move in a certain direction, that there is some sort of um, you're, you're thinking ethically about those actions. I think that's wise too, right? It, we teach ethical influence. 
We don't teach manipulation. We don't teach mind control. We teach how do I move someone ethically? And um, I, I promise you I wouldn't quiz you, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, do you happen to know the seven levers of influence? If I was able to quiz you on that right now, is that something that you could spout off pretty quickly? Reciprocation, liking, social proof, authority, uh, so uh, scarcity, commitment, consistency, and liking. Or in unity, excuse me, unity. Correct. I was like, wait, I think he's liking good. Very well done. I love that because a lot of times when I'm with salespeople, I will say basically, oh, you're in sales. I'm also in sales. If you're not using Cialdini's method, <laughs> are you even selling ethically? I'm always using unity, reciprocation, commitment, and consistency, liking, authority, social proof, and scarcity. And that phrase freaks out salespeople because they go, oh, oh, you really know your stuff. Oh, okay. It's, and those tools, when used properly with the right personalities in the proper order in the transaction cycle, starts to move things a lot more smoothly and help you lead even better. Anything else you'd add about leadership? Because I think that, that that's really the heart of a lot of why you did what you did and why you've studied as much as you've studied is to build a foundation of someone who is to be followed. I would say that I've my form or my my way of studying previously to influential you is, is through podcast, actually. And I would follow people who just seemed like really good people, at least through their podcasts. And a lot of things that I just came back to multiple times is if you want to be a good leader, you have to care about those around you. You know, if, if it's your supervisor, if it's somebody at the same level, somebody below you genuinely care about their well-being. And a lot of the other things will start to take care of themselves because you're building that strong relationship. You can have harder conversations if you have a relationship built on trust. And there's there's a whole world that goes into building those relationships. But um that those are the things I, I guess I would say about leadership. That's really good. And that trust, as you'll remember from the program, is built on competence, right? And if, if, if our confidence is not built on competence or that, you know, it, it really does dissolve. If all I'm doing is getting my team to like me and yet I don't prove that I can actually make things happen for them or help them get their aims, I really need to take a step back and look at why they're following me and if, if that's appropriate, because really we want to continue to lead with a confidence based on the competence of making things get done. Um, any, anything there for you or is that, is that kind of just reiterating what you said? For me, there's a, there's a duality. If I could build onto that, Please. yes, competence is important. You have to be say, you know, if I'm going to say I'm going to do something, it's going to be done by that time. Sure. It's difficult to do that all the time, but that needs to be there for building strong relationships. But I would argue at the same time that there has to be, or there should be an element of vulnerability. Mm. When you don't know how to do something or when you need help in something, being vulnerable allows all sorts of wonderful biological things to happen in our brain. These mirror neurons where if somebody says, hey, you know, I really need help with this, I don't quite understand. Then all of a sudden, all these guards, these natural guards that we have in our system they, they relax and they realize this person is not a threat. This person needs help and okay, let's work together. So it's a, it's a mix of competence, but also vulnerability, I would say, to build trust. Yeah. I think that's really wise too, because there's got to be a give and take. And I think it's right. And there's, there's also people that you can have confidence and still ask for help, right? In fact, yeah. you should like, like, absolutely. Like, please do ask for help. That's, the main point is that human beings are helping other human beings. And so I, I really like what you said there. And 
Well, we give everyone a soapbox moment, something they want to scream from the rooftops or yell about or something that really matters to them that would, would mean something. What would be your uh, soapbox moment? I would say lead with curiosity. And if I could build on a, that a little bit, I think it's easy to, to just say something and it sounds great. But for me, leading with curiosity means if I'm going and I'm transacting with somebody who I don't particularly agree with, let's say we have a completely different worldview. You know, when I was a, a, a international field engineer, I kind of landed in a country and just had to work with people. And I had to find ways to get along with people. And that didn't always go smoothly. And what I've realized is it's almost when you lead with curiosity, you want to get to the point of where your mood is like you're reading Harry Potter. Hmm. I, this is a little bit strange, but bear with me. When you're reading Harry Potter, you're in this new world. You're, you're entertained and hopefully you, you glean some wisdom from that. And I go into conversations with people now that let's say we have completely different viewpoints on something. All of a sudden I switch into, oh, I'm reading Harry Potter. Tell me about your world. I am so curious because the way you move through this world is so different from me. And, like, and I genuinely get excited about what's going on. As a quick anecdote, I somewhat recently ran into somebody and we disagreed with the age of the earth. I was so excited to talk to this person because I've heard you know opinions about this, but I've never actually found somebody like this in the wild who, who truly believes that. And so I just started asking questions like, tell me more, what is this? Okay. Just to understand how they move through the world. And it's, it's a lot more colorful and an exciting way, I would say, to go through and to, to seek to understand, to quote, I believe Ray Dalio on that one. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do. And I, I'd say just lead with curiosity. That's what I would like to promote. Uh, I, I love that. I think that's so wise. It, it really goes back in the mantra I've been thinking for the last couple of weeks with Dallas Hensley on I'm not as smart as I think I am. And really figuring out how to be more curious and less judgmental to quote my favorite philosopher, uh, Ted Lasso. I am so thankful that you are on the podcast today, Mike. Um, I'm going to have you stick around after the podcast because I want to measure and complete with you, if you will. But I want to say thank you so much for being on today. I'm going to take you off and talk about you while you're gone, if that's all right. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, that was Mike Fend uh, that we're so excited to have on here. And man, Mike has done a lot in the last six months. The Fundamentals of Transaction program, jumping in, really getting the value out of it. And that's why I invited him on the podcast, because I heard some of the things he was saying and you could tell that it wasn't just about learning something, it was about doing something. Learn a skill, put it into practice. Learn a skill, put it into practice. And I, I think he, he really exemplifies what we're aiming for. It's a very unique study that we're looking to build for people, a skill set in which he's able to now take his 13 steps, move in ways with other human beings that they want to follow him and be a better leader. And Mike, I wish you all the luck with that. It is so much fun to see you grow. And I'm looking forward to what's next for you as well. Well, if you'd like to know more about us, you can go to influentialu.global and explore our courses, consulting, and conferences. We offer a four-year curriculum for those seeking an advanced experience. However, if you're new to Influential U, we recommend you start with Thrive. It's our self-guided training. Thrive is a self-guided program that lets you learn at your own pace. Thrive members enjoy weekly live e-coaching sessions and an ever-expanding library of exclusive video lessons with our faculty, thought leaders, and industry experts. 
You'll get proven proprietary tools to accurately assess your career and develop a realistic strategy to achieve your aims even faster. Your membership also includes chat access to faculty, plus discounts to our transformative conferences. Sign up today and use promo code 20OFF, that's 20OFF, for a 20% discount on the monthly subscription. That coupon code, once again, 20OFF. Next week, we interview Anthony Nicoli, an aerospace director at Siemens Digital Industries. Now, he studied with us for close to four years, and I think he's one of the most brilliant thinkers I've ever met. I invite you to join us because you'll want to hear his story. Thank you so much for joining us today. Each week, we stream live at 2 p.m. Pacific on our website, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, so you can easily share it with others. And next week is Daylight Savings, so make sure that you check your local listings because it's not the same in every country. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with our guests, plus links to websites, books, or special downloads we talked about in today's episode. This podcast is made possible by the Influential You staff, faculty, and members all around the world. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, with contributions from Michael Teehee, Joey Anderley, Daryl Anderley, Paul West, and Liz Smiley, with a special thanks to our guest today, Mike Fend. The Influential You podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on October 26th, 2022. That would be right if it was last week, but it's November 2nd, 2022. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. And if you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know. We'll see you next week on the Influential You podcast. Thank you.